uh, Jesus having been arrested, taken before the Jewish council with um, Peter, verse 54, following at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. And then we have the account of the Jewish trial, uh, but we uh, have some unfinished business, and that is what's going on with Peter here. So, uh, verse 66 to 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You too were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out onto the porch. And the maid saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again, he was denying it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he, said, but he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. And immediately a cock crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before a cock crows twice, you will deny me three, deny me three times. And he began to weep. We know this uh, story well. Um, so the details are, are, are probably, you know, well in your mind. What do you think is going on with Peter? Here he gets uh, questioned, not even by officials necessarily, I and mean, he starts out with a servant girl, uh, saying that he was with Jesus. So what's going on with him trying to deny this? He fears for his own life, for his own safety. I think so. I think it's clearly the pressure of the circumstances, the surroundings. He uh, doesn't want to be seen as being a follower of Jesus. That's not a particularly popular thing in this crowd. Um, but how do you fit that in with he has taken out his sword and ready to fight when Jesus got arrested. I mean, he didn't seem cowardly there. It's easier to uh, be, uh, be brave in a battle situation or in a uh, more of a it's kind of like skiing, you know, when you, <laughs> okay. you, know, you okay. come back with your with your broken leg or whatever. It's like, how'd you do that? Oh man, it, you know, it was it was during the, the doing these big jumps and whatever when actually you fell down standing in the lift line. You know, so for Peter to do that in that situation was more was easier to do. I don't know if there's more glory to it or whatever, but to be pointed out by a servant girl and possibly lose your life because you're standing there doing nothing would be more difficult to, uh, to accept. Yeah, that's an interesting approach. <laughs> Do we ever uh, win in the big battles and lose in the small ones? You know, I, I see that sometimes. I think there's something to that. That, you know, you're not always courageous at the same level. It depends on the situation. And sometimes the more dangerous situations, you may have more courage. Or the more, the more aggressive situations. It kind of brought out the fight in Peter. 
course, I suspect he didn't completely understand what was going on with all this. I doubt that he ever expected, you know, Jesus to be in this situation. Jesus didn't want him to fight. And I think he's lost his nerve when he gets in this situation. He's not doing anything. He's there by the fire. He's really taken in his surroundings and it's started to be intimidating to him. And I think we need to think about how inconsistent we can be. How sometimes we can be really strong and then really weak. And, and maybe learn a lesson, you know, from that. Um, this is a totally different temptation. But I thought about that same principle when David was being persecuted by Saul. You remember that uh, situation? And uh, when Saul, you know, ended up in the same cave where David and his men were farther in. And uh, then later when David spied Saul in the camp and they were asleep. In both occasions, how did David treat Saul? Respect and honor. Yeah. Felt guilty that he'd even cut a part of his robe off. I mean, what had Saul been doing to David? He had a tremendous degree of restraint of your temper, you know, of, of a, a willingness to not seek revenge. You're really impressed by David's self-control in that. But do you know those two stories sandwich another story? Remember? Nabal. Nabal. Where Nabal certainly hadn't done anything nearly as bad to David as what Saul had, insulted his men, didn't give him some stuff he thought he ought to have, you know, but nothing like what Saul was trying to do, and he's ready to obliterate Nabal's whole, whole family, you know, and would have if it hadn't been for Abigail's intervention. You know, it's like he rose to the occasion with Saul and really restrained his temper in a, in a situation where you could really see, you know, why he wouldn't have, and then he completely blows it in what should be a pretty easy situation. So I think, I think that does happen to us. <clears throat> also think of maybe another reason why Peter might have maybe lost his nerve here was it seems to me that Peter was always kind of a man pleaser and still always looking for always looking out for number one which would be himself somewhat uh, yeah in this situation can you think of another situation where Peter acted similarly in Acts or not in Acts uh, when is it that Paul calls Peter out yeah, in Galatians 2, where Peter had compromised his principles of accepting the Gentiles when some of the Jews from Jerusalem came. I do think that's kind of a similar situation, and it kind of goes to show you that your weaknesses sometimes crop back up later on in your life. Uh, look at a couple details of this. The, the servant girl in verse 667 says, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. And he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. Now, you know, obviously these accounts are abridged, and we're not always sure how to harmonize all of these. But looking at that on the surface, does, does Peter exactly deny Jesus in verse 68? exactly. He said, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, he did understand what they were talking about, so it was a lie. But could you rationalize and think that maybe I don't completely understand everything she might have meant or said, or, you know, I can imagine, and it wasn't really like a direct denial of Jesus himself. You know, and then the servant girl saw him and 
said to one of the bystanders, this is one of them. And this time he just denied it. You know, I think it's a little stronger than just saying, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, no, I'm not one of them. And then, a little while later, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, and how do they know? You're a Galilee. How did they know he was a Galilean? By his accent. How did they know his accent? Probably like Jesus. Yes, but how, what did what did Peter done that would have given away his accent? Yeah, denying Jesus. You know, it's his very statements of denying Jesus that gave away his accent. The more he talks. You know, to deny the Lord, the more he betrays himself. Isn't that ironic? You know, isn't that the way that happens, too? A lot of times, the more we try to, you know, free ourselves from, you know, improve our image or whatever, the deeper we get. And in this case, in verse 71, he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man you're talking about. Not everybody understands what that means. It doesn't mean that he starts using a bunch of cuss words. (laughs) What does it mean that he began to curse and swear? I do not know this man you're talking about. Curses upon himself if he were lying? Yes. It is an awful thing to swear to God that you don't know his son. And that's exactly what he's saying. He's, He's basically saying, may God damn me if I know this man you're talking about. That is a really strong, terrible thing. And so Peter, the rock, disintegrates into a pile of sand right here. You know, I mean, he took, who would have ever thought? I mean, he would have never imagined a few hours before that he would have taken an oath for God to, to, to punish him eternally if he even knew Jesus. Of all things, you don't always know what to do when the temptation hits. You know, I mean, sometimes, I remember, this is a whole different temptation, but I remember many years ago, a lady who was, in many ways, a fine, very moral lady, a Christian lady, who ended up in bed with a guy that she wasn't married to. And later, in talking with her, she said, I would have never dreamed I would have fallen so low. She was a person who was, you know, very um, strict in many areas, you know, dress, you know, comportment and things like that. But, you know, uh, the devil has his way of making the temptations enticing, and if we're not careful, you know, we may do things we never thought we'd do. When you look at Peter, if you really want to see why he fell, what do you need to go back to? sleeping? His sleeping when he should have been praying praying so that he wouldn't enter into temptation. I think that goes back one step further. Why was he sleeping instead of watching? I know he's sleepy. But why was he not more concerned to be watching and praying that he might not enter into temptation? He didn't believe it when Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Absolutely. He was overconfident. He said, oh, I'll never do that. No, I won't do that. And sometimes that overconfidence 
leads us to not turn to the Lord, not rely on the Lord, not see our vulnerability. A lot of times we fall into sin because of the pride of not thinking we could fall into sin. So I think that may be some of the background also to Peter doing what, well, just horrifying. (laughs) What he, a few hours before, would just absolutely flat out said, that will not happen. I will not do that. And I don't think Peter, when he said, I will not do that, was just intentionally lying about it. I think he really thought, I will never do that. But lo and behold. And then the rooster crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered. And then what did he do? Oh man. Can you imagine how he must have felt? You know, I remember, I think probably one of the one of the times I probably felt the most horrible. And you know, part of this was my age and situation at the time. But when I was 16 years old, pulling out of the school parking lot, and I didn't see a car coming, and it hit me. And it wasn't my car, it was my dad's. And, whoa, you know, the feeling you have. If I could have dug a hole and just spent the rest of my life in it, I probably would have. You know, that was, oh, man. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt like? I mean, that was just, you know, a car and just a lack of, you know, attention. This is saying, may God condemn me if I even know that man. That must have been horrible for Peter to really realize what he'd done. It must have been horrible for Jesus who moved, turned and looked at Peter and knew what he'd just done to Comments and questions? Yeah, but you feel pretty confident too after standing up and attacking the servant. Yep. He's ready to fight. See? <laughs> yep. You know, you can could, you could, you could almost hear that. See, I told you. Yep. I would die if I had to. Yeah, he proved it. <laughs> but that's, that kind of gives you an idea of what Peter was thinking all along. More of the physical kingdom and, and everything. Because he was expecting that kind of fight. And he was prepared for that. And he was willing to fight. But he wasn't understanding the whole thing. And, and this didn't make any sense. Here, this isn't a fight. This is this is something different. So, Plus also, he was separated from his Lord. You know, if he was truly motivated to serve Jesus and he was there to protect Jesus without his Lord, he lacked his biggest motivation, really. And this whole thing must have been a bit perplexing and bewildering. How could they be doing this? What's going on? You can see that. Yeah, Shane's comment makes me think. If Jesus had been standing beside him when the questions were asked, would he have responded the same? I, I, I wouldn't want to venture to say no. Uh, that's, you're exactly right. So it, shows, it shows the power of presence. And the reality is the presence is always there. It's just do we recognize it or not. Absolutely. Makes me also think too that about his response that you know he wept. Judas went out and hanged himself. 
and sinning is is undesirable but not correcting it is even more undesirable and it seems that you know at least it seems you know Peter's moved in the right direction and we see the changes that he later makes so. what would motivate Judas to, to do that Yeah, and kind of not wanting to face up to what you've done. Yeah, you know. I mean, I think that's a temptation in that situation that you just—it's—it's it's easier just to escape than to have to face what you've done. So you can see that. Yeah. You know, I do. When do you think after the rooster crowed the first time, did he Did he hear it? Apparently, because he knew it was the second time. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's always puzzled me, because I think the first time... In fact, one of the other accounts says that he heard Mr. Crow, but I don't know. Oh, this one says it's in verse 68. Your version is in verse 68. Mine doesn't say that. Oh, there's a textual question. Oh, I don't know. Later, manuscripts add that Oh yeah. And so I remember when you went to it, you didn't read that. Yeah. So sometimes even knowing that you're doing the wrong thing isn't enough to stop you from doing the wrong thing. Especially because what was Peter feeling? Stress. Very. <laughs> what would you say? Happy. No, but stress and fear. Like a rocky. Cocky Doodle Doo. Ariel, you shouldn't have encouraged me. We made a pun. Yeah. I mean, I just think sometimes you are so afraid of what might happen that you'll do anything to try to cover it up. I don't think Peter, when he, if he did hear that first rooster, he's not thinking about that prediction. He's thinking about, am I going to get out of here with my life? You know, I want to make sure I'm incognito. I don't want anybody else, you know, who's looking at me? What are they thinking? You know, and, you know, he's just really panicky. And I think that changes your, your thinking. He started out being happy, and then he changed panicky. Yeah. Well, what is the similarity in this between cocky and panicky? They're both extremes. Yes, and they're both self-centered, self-reliant. When he's cocky, he's thinking, "I can do this." When he's panicky, he's thinking, "I can't do this." But it's all focused on him. You know, there's an article Paul Earnhardt, I think, wrote one time. It was really good. Talking about how pride and low self-esteem, you tend to flip back and forth between them. Seem like total polar opposites. But you see, he says, no, they're really just two sides of the same coin. Because what's the common denominator between low self-esteem and pride? Focus on self. Either you think you're great and you're competent, or you think you're horrible and incompetent, but either way, you're not thinking about the Lord, you're thinking about you. Other thoughts and comments? Maybe, <clears throat> if I was Peter, maybe I'd have been roasting 
rooster over that fire, <laughs> just for, just in case. Rooster's <laughs> 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 not gonna crow. <laughs> uh, the Lord would have provided another one. <laughs> well, it, and it does say in, in 72 that Peter remembered. So even if he heard the first first one, he it didn't. Didn't register. Yeah. So what are we saying this in connection with? The end of chapter 14 of Mark. <laughs> so so Peter had, I guess, pride and low self-esteem? Yes. <clears throat> or pride and panic. Okay. In this case. Oh, All right. Other questions or comments on 14? All right, well, let's work on chapter 15 a little while. Uh, verses 1 to 15. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you said. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Alright, so he's been overnight in this Jewish trial, and now they take him where? Have a consultation. And yes. then they take him to Pilate. To Pilate, who's Pilate? The dude in charge. Yes, Roman governor, appointed by the Roman government to be in charge of Judea. And why do they take him to Pilate? Is that how they kill? Yeah, I mean, this is like they've decided he ought to be executed, but they got to go to the government to get permission to do it. So they can't just take the law in their own hands and decide to execute him. And. Um, so you get tons of details in various accounts, but here uh, Pilate asks him if he's the king of the Jews, and he basically says, yeah. And they accuse him. And and you, what do you see in Jesus' manner? What, what all does he do? Is he's being unjustly attacked. What's his response? 
What's the deal with that? You know, if you were being unjustly accused, would you say nothing? You would automatically want to defend yourself. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, hey, wait a minute, that's not true. Let me tell you what really happened. Jesus doesn't do that. Why doesn't he? Part of it is that you you would think that Jesus knows that he's supposed to be crucified. If he defends himself too much, Pilate's out to release him. He practically did anyway. I also think that Jesus shows here, you know, almost, he's almost above this. He's calm, he's composed. You know, he's not going to get in to some debate over his personal future. And do with him whatever he wants. The accusations. Just look for a second at Luke 23 and get a load of the things they were accusing him of. Luke 23, 2, when they bring in a pilot, here's some of it says they accused him, and they, this will fill out the uh, some of the, the details. Luke 23, 2, and they began to accuse him, saying, <clears throat> We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. What do you think about those accusations? He could have refuted every one of them. I mean, he could have explained every one of them. They had some truth. Some uh, maybe saying that he himself is Christ a king, although he rarely ever said he was Christ or a king, but he was in one sense. Misleading our nation, I guess that was their opinion about it. It's not really true. But what about forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar? What did Jesus say about taxes to Caesar? And he just said that about two or three days before and they heard him. So what's that? It would sound good to Pilate. Well, yeah, or bad. Well, <laughs> yeah. Sound good. Good reason to kill him. I mean, have you ever had anybody do that to you? You say one thing, and three days later, they're, they're quoting you the exact opposite of what you said. They're accusing you before some higher up, and claiming you said something that was just the opposite of what you really said. How would that make you feel? Upset. Angry. Angry. I love the word outrage. It's the strongest <laughs> word I know to ex- describe that emotion. Uh, you know, it's not fair. It's not right. They have, no, they have no business saying that. It's not true. It's not all what I said. Jesus doesn't react that way. He's not defensive. He's going to let them do to him personally anything they want to do. He's not going to react. He's going to be like the sheep led to the slaughter. Just willing, willingly yielding to, to their desire. So he, he doesn't answer. Even to the point that Pilate's amazed. Pilate's tried other prisoners. I bet he never had one. He just kind of rolls over and plays dead. He knows these are capital accusations. And he doesn't even try to make any alibi or excuse or say anything. Comments or questions through five?
Back, back to uh, the first point that we made in about verse 1 and, and taking him to Pilate. I guess I question their allegiance to keeping the Roman uh, laws over them that they didn't have the right to put someone to death. Meaning, if they just wanted to wipe Jesus out, they could have done that and probably hid it. But it's almost like they didn't want this maybe to be a private hit job. They wanted, see, maybe they wanted it to be a public thing for all to see. You could certainly see that. Yeah. Something else that may enter into it. They're afraid of their own country. I mean, you know, some there's a lot of soldiers that arrested him. You know, I mean, there's going to be people know if they just took matters in their own hands and just killed him. That could have real trouble on their hands. So I suspect there may have been several factors that led them to, you know, we're going to take him to pilot and go through the legal legal procedure. Well, and if they had decided they were going to kill him and their own countrymen did nothing. That doesn't mean that the Romans would overlook the fact that they had just executed, in some sense, someone when they weren't supposed to. Yes. Roman law. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be viewed very favorably. Yeah. I mean, even if they didn't care ahead of time, it doesn't mean that it still wouldn't have happened after. Good point. They didn't try to kill him, though, didn't they? Wasn't that something that was trying to stone him and. So obviously those times they didn't take him to the Romans. They stoned Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. I I still think legally they were obligated to. Uh-huh. But has anybody ever known to kill someone illegally? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So I guess I'm just saying, I mean, they do it every time. You're but exactly for right. some reason they felt the need this time. They are really trying to make this look good. They are, are very much trying not to make this something where they come off looking like they are just mean and and prejudiced against Jesus and, and trying to hurt him. They're <clears throat> following serious legal procedure. He has blasphemed. They've heard it themselves. They must take him to Pilate. And they're just doing this for the good of the nation and trying to follow what they're supposed to do. They're, they're very much trying to preserve their image as they commit these dastardly crimes. Maybe that was try to rebuild their standing with the people because they're losing their following, but if they can say, look, you know, all the evidence is pointing out that this man's a fraud, so come back and follow us. It really reminds you of politicians. (laughs) (laughs) You know. I think you're right. Well, they've got this custom that at the Passover feast, the governor would release a political prisoner. And there's this Barabbas guy who's committed murder in an insurrection. I'm assuming he was uh, anti-Rome and that he, you know, led some kind of demonstration against Rome or whatever, ended up up killing somebody in it. And so, so, you know, they've kind of got the choice as to whether or not they want Jesus released 
or whether or not they want this Rabbis guy released. What do they say? Yeah. And that's the, the Jewish leaders getting the pr- crowd worked up to say, no, we want Barabbas released. You know, that's quite a difference. You take Barabbas, who's killed people in a riot, and Jesus, who's the source of life and peace. So you couldn't have had two bigger contrasting people. Now, I am assuming, I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming that since they've got all the material there ready to crucify, they may very well have been planning to crucify three men that day. It was going to be Barabbas and the other two thieves. And, and what happens is Jesus ends up being killed instead of Barabbas. Which is kind of cool. Can you imagine what Barabbas must have felt? You know, I've even seen someone suggest, but we don't know if this is the case, that perhaps Barabbas was even hearing some of the negotiations between Pilate and the crowd and so forth. If he were, you could imagine his fluctuating emotions. Pilate's trying to release him, he finds no guilt, or the crowd's hollering for, for Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be crucified. And and this, this is kind of like, is he going to be crucified today or is he going to be released today? And finally, Jesus is, is, is crucified. Barabbas is released. Answer to Barabbas' prayers. Yes. But isn't that exactly us? Aren't we the Barabbases in the story who deserve to die for our crimes, but Jesus took our place? So I think it's kind of interesting to think about that and think of Barabbas in a very physical, literal way. You know, sort of representing us that should die because of our sins, but Jesus did in our place. What do you think about Pilate? Back to the rabbit stuff. The crowd was Jewish, right? Yes. They would have been in favor of. Barabbas killing somebody that was Maybe so. Yeah. So that was like releasing somebody that would have been moral as a hero. Is that correct? As far as we can tell, yes. May not have been Pilate's wisest choice as an alternative to Jesus. Was it his choice? That's I don't know if that's really clear. And I, that's not clear. Maybe they were clamoring for Barabbas already. Knowing that the crowd would like that. Well, it says, like, they went up to ask him about fulfilling his custom or whatever, and so he, I guess he first asks about Jesus. So. Mm-hmm. So Barabbas' friends were already planning to make this request. Maybe so. Maybe so. We don't know all the details yeah. in this. It's kind of sketchy. Yeah, it almost appears like leave the story, go back to their normal tradition, and some people came to Pilate and said, hey, you know, it's Passover, it's time to release somebody. It, it almost, in this account, almost appears that that was the way that was not not necessarily as part of the Jesus trial. <coughs> yes. <laughs> Although it would be kind of odd if they have to do this as child of the eye. Yeah, but you don't really know the time frame or sure. all this. 
you know, I don't, I don't necessarily see Pilate standing there in front of the crowd the entire time where all of this took place. Right. You know, didn't he send him back? Or, you know, he said, I don't have anything to do with your law or <coughs> Mm-hmm. Maybe he went back to more official government government business. So he releases Barabbas. Pilate's interesting. How's he going to decide what to do with Jesus? Yeah, ask the people. Hello, <laughs> who's the governor? <laughs> who's the judge? I mean, when's the last time you saw a judge, you know, ask the people who were upset with the one on trial what his verdict ought to be? Well, of course you know what they think his verdict ought to be. What what's Pilate seem to be trying to do? Get himself out of the situation. Yes, and? Pass the ball. Yeah. He wants to please them. He wants to cater to what the Jews... He's the judge, but he's not acting like the... You know, you tell me. You know, what, then what shall I do with him who you, whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. But Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? And they holler out, crucify him. So it's like Pilate's trying to argue them into accepting his verdict of innocence. And they're not going to accept it. And so in verse 15, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. So, you know, Pilate decides to knuckle under the pressure of the people who wanted him to release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. How often would we go along with the pressure to do something we know is wrong? To wrong the wrong person? demeaning for the judge to argue with the prosecution team about the verdict. Well, you're, well what's he done wrong? I think he's innocent. Well, why did you accuse him? Well, if you think he's innocent, then by all means release him. Don't expect the prosecutor to like it. But he wants to please them. And so wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. It's amazing, the restraint of the gospel writers. You know, they write things that they really cared about deeply, felt strongly about. They write it calmly and dispassionately. He scourged him, so they're going to be crucified. You know, when Mark wrote that, ah, he's so deeply moved by that. Yeah, he just tears the tells the bare facts. And 
forget, but it's another place where the Passion of the Christ, wow, the scourging scene is really powerful. That would have been horrible. Beaten with a whip to which bits of metal and bone and glass are attached. It just sort of makes hamburger meat out of the back. That's horrible. And uh, then he's crucified. <laughs> you know, after he's tortured, after he's lost a lot of blood, probably near shock, well, then they pound the nails into his hands and feet and, and do that. And, and, and Luke just says, or Mark just says, after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Why do you think Mark gives such a brief overview of it? I think the story's more powerful when Mark doesn't react and just tells us the facts. I don't know if that's the reason. <laughs> Or the view that also these were Romans that he was writing to, and uh, they would probably have understood the concept of scourging and crucifixion. They would have had to go on to more detail. Mm-hmm. Whether it's true or not, really. Any, anyone in the Roman world would have yeah. understood what crucifixion was. Yeah. And even the scourging. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's like an account in Josephus where 200 Jews were crucified, and they were crucified along one of the main roads leading into Jerusalem, and you, that's what you got to walk past three or four or five days that they were there before they died. So, I mean, it was, yeah. Kind of like some cities put up Christmas lights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a city beautification program. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Your tax dollars at work. <laughs> Comments and thoughts to this. Sixteen to twenty. And the soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. And they dressed him up in purple, and after weaving the crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they kept beating his head with a reed and spitting at him and kneeling and bowing before him. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple off him and put his garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Have a little fun with him. Whoa, what, what are they trying to do with this? Yeah. Break his spirit. Humiliate. What are they dressing him up like this for? He needs a robe. He needs a crown. Get him a crown. Now we bow down to him. You know, and, and, and just, you know, just all this taunting. You know, beating him on the head that's got the crown of thorns and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing for him. You know, hail king of the Jews. Oh, this is very cool fun. You know, how would you feel if you were Jesus?
certainly would be tempted to wave my hand and, and swat those pesky flies away. Yeah, yeah. Cosmic <coughs> You know, those things are either totally demoralizing and humiliating, or they outrage us and make us furious. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have had somebody intentionally just spit on you? I mean, whoa. And, and in an angry way. You know, you're trash. Just spit on it. <laughs> it's gross. But it's 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 humiliating. They're they're just think about think about how Jesus' body is basically being dressed and undressed at the whim of the soldiers. They take they take his robe off of him to scourge him, I suppose. <laughs> Put this this robe on him, the royal robe, and take that back off. Put, put his own guard. You know, they do anything that his body want. They want to get him out there to crucify him, strip him again. You know, it just it makes Jesus seem so so vulnerable. He's their little doll. He's their little play toy. You know, I bet they wanted to keep him like this for a long time. They got a lot of venom built up. They're going to milk it. You know, here he thought he was such a big shot. We're going to show him. And again, when somebody treats you that way, it either just leaves you, you know, totally devastated, or it leaves you so mad you can't see straight. And it doesn't leave Jesus either way. He's calm and composed. And soon he'll be praying that they are forgiven. He's not angry. And he's not feeling humiliated. He's just going through what he needs to go through. You know, could we be mistreated? Could we be humiliated? Could we be totally unfairly treated? Have our rights taken away? And and, and can we deal with that? with the calmness that Jesus does. I got to think that the royal robe may have put on him. I wonder how long it stayed purple. After all the blood he, he, he had on his back, that, that robe probably didn't stay purple very long. Just got darker, I Yeah, and I've, I've heard this said before. Of course, there's a lot of details we don't know, but I just imagined, I mean, I've heard this, and it seems right to me. I don't know exactly how the robe was they put on him, but if they put this robe on after they've scourged him, his back's all bloody, I think of it sticking to his back, kind of drying to his back, and you yank that off, ah! It's no wonder he didn't pass out. Yeah, or, yeah, just... Uh, dried blood and just open up back up again. I don't know if that's what it was. I mean, I think when they beat him on the head the crown of thorns. You know, it doesn't sound very pleasant to me. And he doesn't really tell me. Why would the Roman guards have felt this way toward Jesus? I could see the Jewish people feeling this kind of hatred and venom. 
and it makes me wonder, and it doesn't, doesn't make me doubt that that's possibly the case, but could it just be that this is this is how they get their kicks? You know, this is how this is how debased they become. That this is how they get their entertainment, whether it's Jesus or the next criminal, the next one to be crucified. You know, they they just really enjoy this. Well, that, I've thought about that, and then we can really be something to that. I mean, man, you look at some of the stuff in the Roman world. Wow. And, you know, people like power. There's something intoxicating about having the power. And, and, and you know, you wonder. I mean, some of, the, some of the ridiculous forms of abuse that even go on in our country, you wonder what possesses somebody. They've got power. You know, and, and maybe they, you, you might be right. I mean, although these Roman soldiers evidently were stationed in Jerusalem, so they probably knew a lot about Jesus. Not like they're, you know, coming from somewhere they wouldn't even known the guy. But maybe for them, this is just, he thought he was such a big shot. Now look at him. You know, he had all these people following him. I can, I can imagine maybe it's something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, well, they, you know, I don't know how to prove their psychology, but it's worth, you know, thinking about. Well, possibly, part of it would be their dislike of the Jews generally. I mean, they they didn't, they didn't get along with the Jews. I mean, they, for one thing, just any soldier stationed away from home, I've got to, you know, hang out with these people, and there are more of them here than usual, and there's such a pain, and, you know, all of this kind of thing. They don't like being where they're at, doing what they have to do. They'd rather be carousing somewhere or whatever. And so that might be part of the, the general dislike they have. They personalized it, you know, for the king of the Jews. But, yeah. That's a good point. It's an excellent lesson for us in being willing to not retaliate when our rights are taken away, to be able to maintain calmness and composure when we're being treated totally unfairly, unjustly. Wow, Jesus is our example in that. The next time we just have this spirit of they can't do that to me. Think about Jesus. Other thoughts through 20? Twenty-one to twenty-six. <clears throat> and they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. 
Now was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of of his ex ac accusation was written above the king of the Jews. Okay. Now, one of the accounts says Jesus went off bearing his own cross, and the other ones mentioned Simon, who uh, took it for him. We assume the harmonization. We don't know this, but we assume the harmonization of that is Jesus started out bearing his own cross, probably quite weakened and had a hard time doing so, and so they just grabbed somebody passing by and said, you're going to carry this. Roman soldiers have the right to do that. Um, so, you know, that, that's what I would assume is going on with that. <clears throat> and they bring him to Golgotha. What does Golgotha mean? So why is it called Place of a Skull? There are two prime possibilities. Wasn't there a cemetery around it, or close to it? Oh, could be, or even the people crucified there, their skull or corpses you know, decomposing there. That, that could be one reason. That's not the most popular reason people give. What's the most popular one? No, it looks like a skull. Yeah, that it looks, it's shaped like a skull. Like it's a, it's a hill. Personally, it seems more logical to me the first explanation. There's probably a lot of skulls around there. People have been crucified. I if now you can correct me if you've seen other evidence, but as far as I can tell, this is the reason we think Calvary, Algotha, was a hill. I don't really think. There's anything in the text to necessarily indicate that, unless place of the skull means in the shape of a skull, and that shows it was a hill. You know, that really blows everything we always say about it, but I, as far as I can tell, there's nothing else in the Bible that really confirms the fact it was on a hill. Maybe you'd say, well, why wouldn't they have chosen a hill to display the body of the ones who were crucified? That may be right, but I'm just saying I don't think there's anything in the text and scriptures other than this to necessarily indicate that, and I'm not sure that that's what this means. some that have gone to that area and there supposedly is a still a, a hill or whatever that looks like a skull. But there's no indication that that is the place. <laughs> and it you could it's like a cloud. You could make anything out of it. <laughs> well yeah. You know, who knows? I mean sometimes when you cross cultural lines you lose something. But I've never yet seen a hill and thought, that looks like a skull. <laughs> who knows? Although if it, if it were a place where there were <coughs> bones and skulls around generally, then would the, the Jewish leaders have come out there and risked becoming unclean by being near them? Or? Well, I mean, they're going to be unclean by being near their bodies that are dying there, aren't they? Or if they touched them, I don't know, yeah. being near. But I don't know. think they were necessarily concerned with that either. They're well, pretty much but, concerned um, about seeing you just die. But before, they wouldn't go into to Pilate's palace because they didn't want to be unclean for the Passover. That's another account. So, yeah. well, I don't know Would they have been required to go to this area? <clears throat> huh. That was so. they would have been required to go? No, so what difference? It, it seems like there's a record of them being there. I guess. Because there were some leaders. Because the, the chief priests, along with them, the scribes, 
they were there at the cross mocking Jesus. Yeah, like 31. So, and if they call a place in the right. skull because there's a lot of crucifixions there, it may not mean that there's actually dead bodies on the spot either. That's it could true. just be, you know, this is this is where a lot of people lost their heads. So the Romans got there and they saw all these skulls and said, this is a good place to crucify people. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. It's kind of like, why are why were so many Civil War battles fought in national parks? That's <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you just that's really weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but it did take me a second, but then they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. What were they thinking, and why didn't he take it? They weren't doing it to make it pleasant for him, but they knew that if he were anesthetized a little bit, it'd be easier to crucify him because he wouldn't he wouldn't struggle. I'll put he wouldn't struggle after the first nail. I mean, from what I can tell, it was a typical humanitarian gesture, you know. Trying to avoid cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> yeah. So, but Jesus wouldn't take it because Jesus wanted to experience the full degree of pain and punishment in his full, aware, alert, conscious mind. That's my take. I also heard on this is the truth to it all. Uh, I'm this out there, but somebody said that, like, maybe even had it even more torturous. Because it would take him longer to die, he couldn't feel the pain. And one of the reasons that he wanted up dying from the cross is because it hurt so bad to pull up to get air. So if he couldn't feel the pain when he pulled off, it would take him longer to die. Well, I think there's something to the idea of pulling up to get get air. Because if you're just hanging, you've got to pull up somewhat to breathe. I don't know that was so much for the pain. I think it's just to get breath. No, what I'm saying is. Would they have given him that so that he couldn't feel the pain as much, and so it would take him longer to die? So he'd be able to do. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know about that. Maybe. And then they they crucify him. I mean, that's all he says. They crucified him. (laughs) What we would talk and talk about. And they took his clothes and they drew straws for who got what. Which is, again, I think it sort of further shows just the powerlessness of Jesus, the humiliation. You know, there's really no dignity he has left. And his last remaining possessions, his clothes are, you know, partitioned off. And uh, they crucify him in the third hour, probably about 9 o'clock in the morning. And they write the inscription, the King of the Jews. Comments and questions. Well, what's with all the information in verse 21 about Simon the Cyrene? Why did he throw all that in there? Maybe some of his readers knew Alexander and Rufus. You think you might have included just to show that it was a very, like, I don't know, tiring experience, I guess, for Jesus, just to show a little bit more of how much harder it would have been, I guess? Maybe so. Um... I'll tell you how I've seen this used once. 
this might be a little bit of a stretch. It was a good sermon, though. And, <laughs> and maybe it's not. Look at this from Jesus' standpoint. Jesus is ultimately in control. He could have avoided the whole crucifixion business. But the fact that he's going to go through with this ends up ruining Simon's day. He had somewhere he was going. Then he's got to carry this stupid cross outside the city. And you can imagine somebody feeling guilty. Oh, I'm so sorry I had to put him out. And, and the point made in the sermon is there's a price others have to pay for your prior commitment to serve the Lord. But you think about Jesus' family. They were hurt by all this. His mother particularly by what she saw him suffer. But, but when you're committed to God, there's a price other people have to pay. So that's just kind of, that, that's an interesting way to look at this. You know, would Jesus really like, you know, having to, you know, end up having somebody carry it, you know, all that? Maybe not, but there's a price other people have to pay. You're committed to the Lord, it's going to inconvenience some people. It's going to upset some people. So, I mean, that's, the, the, I really liked that sermon. It was preached a long time ago by Don Bassett, but it was a really helpful lesson to Other comments and questions on any of this? Would it have been common to carry your own cross? Yes, yes. The cross beam is what I understand, not the stick that goes so in the ground. So it would have been uncommon if they had to get somebody? Probably, although after he'd been scourged, he'd be really weakened. So do you think they did this because he was having difficulty? That's my guess. And they probably wanted to speed it up. You know, that's the typical conjecture. We don't know the answer to that. We, but that's just the way we're piecing that together. It seems logical to me, but I can't prove it. There, there are accounts of, of people having who were going to be crucified were scourged and died from the scourging. So that alone could be... I mean, there's no, there's no limit of 39 lashes for the Romans. That was whatever they felt like. Oh, I have... Torturers, although I have to stop now, but Scourger's elbow. Scourger's elbow. But yeah, the, and the this there's a note here that says the cross yeah. beam weighed about a hundred pounds. Well, so be a lot to carry after you've been scourged. I had trouble. You wouldn't have needed to be as being a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> Probably one size fits all. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would they reuse them? Some personal experience, do you? Probably did. Yeah. Why would you not? Why would you cut another one? Wow, I had never thought about that. <laughs> we bring up new things. I'll tell you, what do you think you've heard at all? <laughs> 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 and th- this is a comment based on a, a hymn that one of my friends wrote um, when you think about the wood of the, of the cross you're not thinking of something nice and smooth they wouldn't have finished it it would have been a rough hewn piece of wood lots of splinters and things and it just makes it even worse and more painful I got a question for you All that Jesus went through, <laughs> it sounds great right in my head, it's just getting to come out that way. 
Um, no comment, Gary, from you. Uh, uh, all the things that Jesus went, went through up to this point of being crucified, is that considered the cup of wrath that was being poured out upon Jesus? Is this a part of God's wrath? Well, that's a good and interesting question. If I understand the Bible correctly, Jesus is taking the punishment that our sins deserve. So the cup of wrath would be the punishment our sins deserve that Jesus drinks in our place. If I understand correctly the punishment our sins deserve, it's separation from God, not just physical death. So it looks to me like Jesus went through an experience of separation from God, of agony, far beyond what we will ever be able to imagine, and thankfully far beyond what we'll ever have to experience. I would, you know, my own way of looking at this has been that the physical torture and suffering is sort of a physical way trying to kind of correspond to the real suffering and pain Jesus went through. Okay, so the cup of wrath, the wrath that the Lord put out upon Jesus was the separation when Christ said, my God, my God, whatever you're saying. Yes, I think so. Which we'll never have to experience. We live in a world blessed by God's presence and we're going to a world blessed by God's presence. We would never know what it would mean to really be separated. That's my understanding. Like I say, like I think last time I said, not everybody agrees with me. Was it common for them to put the charge on the cross so like the thieves would have had something that said thief or something? I don't know what they had, but yeah, when I've read it, it's common. Kind of as an example. So people going by could know yeah. this is why they did Yeah, crucified. that's right. So he's being crucified because he's the king of the Jews. <laughs> Which was kind of Pilate's revenge for having been, you know. Well, we do that. You get maneuvered into something, you, yeah, it frustrates you, and so you get, you know, jab them back with a little pin, you know. Here it says a 27. But even that wouldn't necessarily exclude him from having been there a day already. I don't know the answer to that. My impression is more that they were crucified at the same time. But would, well, I mean, it's a little odd then for them to even have expected or try to hurry up and kill him before the next day. I guess they were maybe to... not so. Maybe that would have happened. Uh, you know, anytime they had a special day. I don't know. Here we go. Another Friday crucifixion. <laughs> what are, we gotta, gotta get them dead quick. Because, I mean, the, the Jews requested that the that the crucifixion be hurried along 
so that the bodies wouldn't be hanging there for the feast day. Yeah. But right. Another account later on or something. Yeah. Because yeah. he wanted, wanted the legs broken. King John. Other okay. yeah. well, thoughts and comments. You know, we've all thought about this. So, and there's a lot to it. <coughs> so it lends itself to a lot of discussion. So say there's a lot you can say other than they crucified him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What part of this, I guess, shows that the sacrifice of Christ was completed? Does that make sense? Kind of. Like, to where Christ would have been, you know, how we could have said sacrificed. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that very clearly. But what about when he said it is finished? That's John, I think, mm-hmm. also. Okay. Whatever it was, it was finished. Yeah. His mission. Other questions and comments? There's probably more information in other places that talk about him being the lamb and the sacrifice, like in Revelation and stuff, rather than here saying, okay, this was the end of the, the sacrifice. If that's helps me. Would it... Um, would it be unfair to consider Jesus' separation from the Father starting even at his birth? You know, the fact that he's now man on earth and all the things that he endured throughout his physical life being somewhat a part of that separation. I mean, not as if not as if he's been necessarily totally abandoned, but it's not like it once was. And even the hardships that he went through all along, you know, the, the denials and the, the, the mocking hard time by his own family. It's an interesting thought. I mean, I think there's certainly a greater sense of separation when he's on the cross. Yes. But, but to see that foreshadowed by his separation physically from his father, maybe so. You know, I, I think I may have said this, but I can't remember. I read somewhere, uh, somebody made the comment, this is just a nice turn of the phrase, that the constant dread Jesus experienced made his whole life a perpetual Gethsemane. You know, that's an interesting way to put that. But I mean, you know, he was thinking about that a lot and dreading that a lot. I mean, Jesus suffered a lot before he ever came to this point. Uh, and you know, Anytime we look at this, we're not doing justice to this. <laughs> Any other comments? All right, well, let's stop here then, and we will pick up in 1527. You know, we might get through with this in a couple more times, and then go to Romans, I think. Uh, but, let's see, I won't be here next week, uh, which will be Christmas Day. And I don't think I'll be here the next week, which will be New Year's Day. So how about the next time?